Hey, yeah, no peoples. We're in season four, and we want to thank you for joining us on this wonderful journey. If you haven't yet, please consider subscribing to us. We love that you listen, but subscribing will help us more than you'll ever know. Also, regardless of which method you use to listen to your podcasts, please, 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 please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and we want to know what's working, what's not. You can also drop us a line at our website, yeahnopodcast.com. But if all that's too much, we get it. The smallest contribution is subscribing. Thanks again for listening and we intend on delivering a kick-ass fourth season for you. Hi, this is Mia. And this is Tina. And you're listening to Yeah No, a podcast about having a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. Damn, I just nailed that. You did. That's impressive. Oh my God, four seasons later. Tell me. I think it's because we're so excited about today's episode. It is really exciting. I think we just want to get to the content of it. Let's do it. So this episode today is really about the intersection of design, business, and healthcare because we wanted to talk about startups. I think it should be called a tale of three startups. (laughs) A tale of three startups. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I do. The reason we wanted to talk about startups is that we've had a long history of startups in healthcare. Yeah. In our first couple years of being in business, we decided we wanted to create a startup. And we did create a startup, I should say. Let's be fair. It didn't start with, hey, we should try to create a startup. It started because we said, hey, there's a really great need for patients who are recovering from a serious admission into a hospital. And when they get discharged, they're given this care plan that's on a, you know, a booklet of paper and it's amidst a stack of bills and other information and that people were going at it alone and it was really hard for them. Right. Exactly. So we went to a hackathon. We developed this idea with a cardiologist and another person that was at operations from a healthcare institution and cahoots, we called it, was born. And if you want to listen, I think we talk about it in one of the earlier episodes in season one. We talk about the origin story, but we're not going to talk about the origin story today. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the disorigin story. <laughs> you, are you trying to avoid this word? We're going to talk about the closing the big F word. of cahoots. Yes, we failed. We did not fail. Cahoots failed. Cahoots failed. Yes. So in this tale of three startups, we wanted to go over what are the three tales. The first tale is about startups and the relationships to larger companies. The second one is about startups that are outside funded, so more traditional startups like venture capitals. And we wanted to share the challenges of how to incorporate human-centered design when you're funded by an outside team and, you know, how risky it is or how seemingly risky it might be to start with the need and the research that's going to uncover that need. And then the third story, which might be a tragic ending, but we hope that there's some good learnings in there. We realized that we hadn't never really talked about 
what happened with cahoots and we need um, a process we, <laughs> we need to talk to i know it. i'm out i'm out of the denial phase and like we're laying on a couch to, right now yeah. <laughs> some serious acceptance um but we wanted to talk about when startups fail and we have some you know things that we've been thinking about recently so there's a few interesting themes you'll probably hear throughout all of these three stories which are around you know tensions between doing human-centered design and the startup mindset of getting up and going as quickly as possible to see a return on investment there's kind of a chicken and egg thing around need versus an idea like which comes first there's uh, how to know when you're failing, how to know when you're failing, where does risk come in? What are you w- willing to risk? And what are, you know, the implications of embracing risk in a startup culture in healthcare? Yeah. So let's get started. So let's talk about the first one. Okay. The first is these startups that are inside corporations. Right, right. I guess they don't start inside corporations all the time. Not all the time. Our first experience in corporate was almost like a startup in and of itself. I mean, it didn't have a product, but we operated a little bit like a startup where we were raising our own money inside a corporation. But as we grew and built a team, I think that we had experiences where we saw teams going out and trying to find small ideas or small products that were already out there that were being built and then try to foster and cultivate and and build them into you know whatever that their ultimate needs were right and we're helping a company now try to foster and leverage a startup ish for their purposes and it's been slow. They took the approach of going outside to look for a a good idea, right? Like a company who had a good idea. And, and I think it's interesting to think about what that company didn't have was some of the rigor that gave the bigger company confidence that they could deliver something, right? And so that's that's being on the other side of it when you're a small company and you're trying, you think you have a good idea and you've got an MVP and... It hasn't been tested. It hasn't been proven. You don't have any measures. You know, it's like, then how do you get started? How do you even get to the point where you can afford to to go out and test this thing or, you know, take it to scale? And that was one of the, the challenges that, that, you know, some of the early companies that we worked with for this project had. So let's think about it like this. Let's think about it like the dating game. I'm Chuck Woolery. I'm going to talk about The Bachelorette. Uh-huh. So The Bachelorette is this company who's really looking... Wait, is The Bachelorette... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's is right. the... You know, she's really looking for a... Hot date. A hot date. I guess it isn't a bachelorette yet. I think you have to be mar- engaged to be a bachelorette, right? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so she's a hot lady. <laughs> and she needs and she's looking so this company is looking for you know somebody to date and really help them to build out this you know idea that they know patients need right and we've got three eligible candidates hot men who are there have to be a man. hot people there 
And so the first eligible person was great. They had a great, perfect for patients kind of idea. It, you know, was really simple. It was straightforward. But the problem is, is that that eligible person did not have the infrastructure or kind of the power to support the kind of sheer numbers that the eligible lady needed help with, right? They had almost a concept of something, but it didn't really seem like they had the wherewithal to build out something. Yeah, it was going to take big. a long time. It was going right. to take a long time. It wasn't going to fit within the timeline. Yeah. And then the second eligible person, company, they were bigger. They yeah. had a lot more street cred. Well, yeah, they, they had some clinical evidence behind what they were doing. Yeah, and they had built a pretty strong platform. But that problem was that they were uber expensive and not super willing to change too, too much about what they were already doing and what they were already on track for. Right. The third eligible partner. Candidate was the a friend of a friend a friend of a friend somebody that <laughs> we already knew right who was like kind of you know had already had a, some build out had a pretty established some clinical metrics yeah they it's... had worked with a lot of our other friends and they already knew they had know, a lot of the parts in place yeah they, they look great yeah they offered a good discount because you know f and f discounts yeah and, you know, I, it's, it's tough, right? Because there are pros and cons to all of them. And it really came down to ease of the partnership. How well are we going to get along? You know, how good the product was and how modifiable it was. And then also cost yeah. to work together. And because healthcare is so regulated, it's tough because ease is really important if you really want to get something to launch. Right. And the balance is with startups is that baked into the idea of a startup is risk. And it is your comfort with how much risk you're willing to take on. And that risk is oftentimes at odds with healthcare, right? Because you don't want to assume too much risk. You don't want to assume the risk that it will fail in FDA approvals. Even backing out of that, you don't even, you may not even want to take the risk that it will be judged as a medical device. Or if you're doing like a product, you may not want to take a risk of money. You may not want to take a risk that it doesn't work for patients, you know, or doctors. So I think it's interesting. It's um, you see a lot of times the balance of how companies have dealt with risk. Right. So the outcome of the game is that we picked partner number three. Just so you all know, I know you're dying. <laughs> we're working at making partner number three better. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing we're seeing if it works. What is interesting about that situation, the dating game situation, is that because we were in parallel to trying to figure out what, what the product was, and the company also took that opportunity to do human-centered design, right? Yeah. So even though the human-centered research or the design research wasn't necessarily going into developing the, the 
product from scratch, they said it's really important for us to understand the needs and the value and what are the, you know, barriers and challenges and what do people want. Yeah. We were able to do that research and that's helped to inform the the right vendor selection or the right yeah. product and also has helped them kind of advance some ideas about what, what they should include. Yeah. You know, they did a great job of really being patient forward and and user forward and saying it's not just about whether or not this is simple and easy to use. It's about what's going to be the value of using it, which is fantastic. Yeah. And and some of the benefit of working with a big company if you're a startup because those resources then become available to you and you do have budget and you do have more timeline to get it right. The next one we wanted to talk about was more of a traditional model of startups. You know, the VC-funded model. A lot of our friends that we know in healthcare have been starting companies, looking for funding. Super hard. It's super hard. And, you know, there's ups and downs to it. You see people finding founders, breaking up, you know, having to start from scratch. That's a dating game, too. That's a dating game, too. I think most cases with VC funding, they're starting with product. Yeah. We mostly see the model of like, oh, I have an idea. I'm going to build out the idea. Technology. Yeah, a technology or or a concept. I've got to race, race, race to get a product, a proof of concept, an MVP, a minimal viable product. And then I'm going to go out and shop it around and somebody's going to give me money. Right. It's hard for these companies who want to start with research, who want to start with the need to get funding because they have to basically walk in with with a piece of paper and say, I don't know what the answer is. Right. But and they have to basically say, but we know that this area is of strong enough need that we need money to go forward and that there's going to be something great that comes out of it. But we don't know what it is. We don't know what the need is. Yeah. And I think that it's a brave for on both sides one the you know on the startup side to say we believe in ourselves enough that we can do it and on the venture side to say we believe enough in that idea that we think that there's something there and we're going to give you a bunch of money right and then b to kind of say we are okay to start with research and human-centered research and figuring out the need and it's okay that we don't have a product or we don't have anything you know it's a testament to that kind of passion that's required of people who have startups and I think hopefully a new horizon for starting with that need it's going to require a new mindset and it's counterintuitive to the culture of startups and this is part of a lot of the work that we've been trying to do with startups and you hear the talk right you hear like oh we need to understand people's needs and you know there are a lot of requirements now in place for business models and funding where they say you need to this needs to come from a, a user need what's your user need but i think people oftentimes mistake a good idea with a need which they're yeah. not the same, or a good problem with a need. Right. They're not the same. And so, you know, it's really challenging for a company that wants to get off the ground, that wants to build something or make a contribution to say, we are going to take some time to 
you know, look and listen and really hear what the need is because it may go against your idea or your problem space, right? right? Like you may discover that there's a need that you have to address that makes you pivot or shift or change your idea. And as a company, that's really hard to stomach sometimes. Yeah. There has to be some acknowledgement that going after needs is important and a willingness to say if if we go out and realize that the need that we thought it was isn't the true need, that we will embrace that and, right. and make a shift. Yeah. Was that your stomach? Uh, can you hear it? Yeah. It was deep hunger yeah. pangs. <laughs> yeah. I have this theory. You guys are going to think this is crazy. But I have this theory that people whose stomachs growl a lot are thinner than people <laughs> whose stomachs don't growl. Does your stomach growl? No. <laughs> I always thought stomach growling was a sign of digestion, like that it's mm-hmm. like digesting. No. That's what it's, it is. It's after digestion. But this is my theory, is that it's just really active. So it's always you know, doing things. Yeah. Whereas my stomach just sits there and it's like a couch potato in well, my body. <laughs> I think we're avoiding talking about this very uncomfortable topic. That's topic number three. I'm not avoiding it. You're not? No. I kind of am. Oh. It makes me sad still. I know. It does make you sad. I mean, me sad. Uh, us sad. <laughs> You're not sad. sad. I'm projecting. projecting. It makes you sad. <laughs> I'm so sorry you feel so sad. I don't know if we've ever talked about this publicly, and we're making it real public now. To all of our hundreds of thousands of listeners out there, this is a true story. This is a true story. The third story we wanted to talk about today is about failed startups. It happens a lot. It happens to everyone. Don't be embarrassed. (laughs) And it's okay. That, again, is baked into startup culture yeah, is that totes. the idea of you do something you take a risk and it may not work and that's fine right for three years we had successes and failures all along the way every success made it feel like we were one step closer to making it a reality and we didn't want to let that go because we knew we had a product that was strong that there was high need, high need for that we believed in so fiercely. So the failures just kind of felt like minor setbacks or Learnings. that they would be, yeah, they helped us to pivot and to iterate and to make it better every single time. And then we would have these conversations with people who were like, yeah, that's great. That's amazing. Or I totally want to pilot that. Or this is, you know, we won, you know, a best presentation at a hackathon, right? You know, I think that there were these successes that were so kind of shining moments. And so when you go on like that for three years, you just you just don't think about pulling the plug. You're just kind of like, but, you know, there's there's so many people who love it or there's so many people who have this need. And and I think that we were a little bit victim to say uh, to ourselves, really, of let's just keep going. This is good enough. We're going to we're going to we're so close to launching something. This is again to go back to the dating game. It's kind of like when is enough enough? Yeah. They don't have a job. 
they don't pay rent. Yeah. Their sister comes and lives with you. They don't do the dishes. Because they love me. And because you love them. (laughs) Yes. Right? Can we, do you want to list the failures? Not really, but okay. Don't you think it'd be kind of interesting to... Right. To think about what what would what would we consider failures? Like, were there any signs? Yeah, there were a lot of signs. Yeah. Okay, then let's just talk about it. One, we needed to have a CTO, somebody who was going to be managing the technology. We didn't know how involved it would really be when we actually built the app and put it up on the store. All right. A CTO, by the way, is a chief technology officer. Yes. We didn't have a clear business model. We learned a lot about the business model. Um, We were looking at reducing costs and reducing things like readmissions. And then a discovery that we had was reducing costs is not the same as making making money. money. (laughs) We were saying you'll save save costs on hospital beds. But it was going to take a long time. Yeah. But what they wanted to say is, we want to see revenue coming in. We want to make in. money now. Yeah. We want to see revenue coming yeah, in. that's right. That was a big issue. You're yeah. right. And I think the other issue was, we didn't have anybody 100% devoted to it. Yeah. And people told us that from the get-go. And we were like, ah, no, no, no. We can do this. People said it's so much slower. And this, the slowness counts in startup, yeah. sadly. And that's... Another issue, I think, with the type of work that we do, which is human-centered design, which is very, it does take some time, you know, and we wanted to, to use that approach when we were developing this product. And it's a similar challenge of, you know, this, do you save up front or do you get money later or whatever, right? right? With human-centered design is that we're saying, if you do this, you will save yourself the millions of dollars later in right. development costs right. when you have to redevelop something because yeah. you find out something new. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Right. It is, you know, a risk ultimately. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. It's an right. uncomfortable space, right? Are there any other things, failures that for cahoots? Well, uh, the thing that sh- <laughs> that thing that we threw our arms up at the very end was iOS, <laughs> developing it on iTunes or developing it on the Apple phone. Uh, sorry. It's Platform. like, am I like an old lady? <laughs> Do those Apple phones, you know? <laughs> um, you know, developing it on iOS really like was so challenging for us in the end. And we had a, an amazing developer who was basically like, giving us time and it was like we could not keep up with the development cycles and the updates of course if we had a cto it would have maybe helped but you know it was just a bad decision and and that cost cost us a lot of time and money and we couldn't get off the ground from it we couldn't recover yeah I feel lighter after this conversation. I don't know. Therapy. One thing. Also, it's because your stomach's growling. Yeah. 
It's emptiness. Is it emptiness or lightness? It's lightness. Hmm. Well, I didn't realize, I think, on reflection after going through this episode, how much experience we've had over the years with startup. Yeah. And the different types of experiences we've had. And more and more, we're trying to figure out how to make sure that startups have you know, are really starting from needs and how do we work with them? And it's causing us to change some of our practices and our approaches in order to make sure that, you know, pulling patients into um, the development, uh, co-designing, making sure that they're getting input and iterative feedback all along the way as they develop. It's not easy. Yeah. And so we've had to, uh, I think, make some adjustments and, and changes in the way that we do work as well. Well, we're a little over halfway through the season already. Yeah. And we always appreciate everyone who's listening. And we want to say that our second half is going to be great as it's well. It's going to be amazing. We have some really great speakers. So excited to hear from them this season. So stay tuned. You can find us on the web at yanopodcast.com and on Instagram. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. And leave a review. This episode was recorded and engineered by Michael P. Coleman at Figure 8 Studios here in Brooklyn and produced and edited by Tori Flack. Our music is written and recorded by Chess Smith. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time.